hey, and welcome everybody to EM Over Easy. We are here at Chicago for ACOP 2018, recording live but not broadcasting live. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate that. Here with Drew with a great guest, Sergey Madoff, coming from us from Maimonides Hospital in New York City. He uh, is known on Twitter as Pain Free ED, and he is doing some awesome work in terms of the way we approach patients who present in pain. And as we all know in emergency medicine, it's a big part of what we do. I mean, if I was to do a quick straw poll my last shift, two-thirds of the people came in with a pain complaint regarding where it was with other problems. But it's really important, I think, the work that you're doing because it's focusing on some of the cool stuff that make us realize there are more medicines than just things that start with D and M and also gives us other opportunities to educate patients on their pain care. So, Sergey, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Super excited to be here. And this is a perfect venue for me to share some light and some work that we've been doing for the past decade or so. And I'm going to start with the preface that we all know that pain is the most prevalent chief complaint that patients come to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. About what, 70 to 75% of all chief complaints in one way or another related to painful conditions. And over the past 10 years, that effective, safe pain management in the ED has been my greatest passion, my greatest interest, specifically pushing for non-opioid analgesia and for safe and reduced opioid use in the ED. Absolutely. I have to be honest, following you on Twitter with some of the papers you've uh, uh, been able to get out there and, and guides has changed my practice in mm -hmm. pain management in the ED, there's no doubt. So for the past six years, I have, uh, one, I think, dosed appropriately, or I hope because of you, and, and changed what I'm using to dose uh, to decrease the amount of opioids out there, to use non-opioid uh, alternatives first, um, and sometimes second, third, and fourth also, and avoid it completely. So to talk to me, talk to us about that movement. And 10 years ago, we were not doing this. You have kind of revolutionized the way we're, I think, treating pain in the emergency department. So what was the motive to start there, and, and where have where have you gone with it? So as far as, uh, thank you so much, first of all, for following me on Twitter. And I'm super elated to hear that some of the work we've done in my shop makes a difference. Very impactful stuff. And apparently impacting your practice. Thank you. It means the world. Uh, I'm going to take you back to my residency years. And I don't want to sound too old, but we're going to 2003, 2004. That's okay. We're all And here. that's the time when um, opiate analgesia was fairly liberated, or mm -hmm. there was a great push. We're not going to do details who did it, why did it, and such. And I vividly remember being a second-year immersive residence when I had difficulties understanding why majority of my attendings are given 20 pills of Percocets to everyone in pain. And frankly, regardless of what their painful condition is, it could have been just pulled back, could have been too thick, it could have been something more serious. And at that time, I had no liberty, most importantly, no knowledge to challenge them professionally. I believe in challenging attending, but professionally. Sure. And every time I was asking a question, why I do this? Well, I'm just doing it because I'm an attending, just do so. And I've taken it upon myself to read, to do some self-education, which as another side note, as we all know, pain education in the medical schools in the residency at that time have not been as great as we wanted to be. And, and still playing catch-up today, I think. I yeah. agree, I so. Agree. And subsequently, when I started reading up, I realized, you know what, there's more than one pill-fits-all mm -hmm. concept. And subsequently, I became a little more comfortable in my own skin, and I actually did start challenging my attendings. And I said, well, maybe before we try Perka, I said, what if we do something different? And some of them listened, some of them did not. I finished up my residency. I reached out to experts who were specifically asking me a question, is this is your passion, which is marginally interested in you? And I thought, that's my passion, and I want to pursue this career. And 10 years later, I'm with you fine gentlemen, having a wonderful discussion on how to manage pain in ED. I love the historical part of that, because coming from a place, I mean, I'm from southern Ohio, and it's a place where opiates were widespread used 
and really affected people's day-to-day lives. And I think that's the one thing that people forget the other side of the medication that we give, which I think you bring to light in a lot of your posts and a lot of your, your papers, is the, is the idea that choosing a non-opiate affects people's lives for a long period of time versus choosing an opiate, which could have a negative impact in the opposite way. So one thing that I, I actually, I'm there with Drew, you, you've changed my practice in terms of the way I practice. In fact, we were both work at a hospital that's just trying to get ketamine for pain. And literally they said, we need articles for this. And I just went to your Twitter feed and found the last things you posted about ketamine and said, pharmacist, here you go. Listen to Sergey, come up with a protocol. And so it's, it's amazing what the stuff you're doing. So what, you. what keeps you going though? Because I know there's been a lot of naysayers along the way. There have been people who have disagreed with you. I've, I've seen some of the, the Twitter battles um, and the social media disagreeers. How do you, how do you keep going with, with this particular project? So it's a very good question. And uh, once again, I'm going to take us back. There was a time when, and still is, that people pushing for so-called opioid-free anything. Opioid-free ED, which I am partially, I'll probably completely responsible for. And I do have to apologize to everybody. It was a misnomer. There's no thing as opioid-free ED. Safe and judicious opioid use, that's the way to do it or maybe opioid reduction initiatives. And uh, the way you push and the way you do it's by education, by bringing up patients to the table and having a discussion. And discussion boils down to one particular thing. We know that opioids have 5,000 years of history of being effective, being good, taking care of majority of acute painful presentations, being inexpensive and irreversible. The best part, we have an antidote. God forbid something happens. We can always reverse it. But at the same time, we should know that there's a 5,000 years of misuse, abuse, and developing some badness with opioids, such as opioid use disorder, formerly known as addiction. And you bring things to the table. Guys, opioids are there. They're effective. But what if we use something, non-opioid, at least an initial aspect of it. Let's push for non-opioid analgesia when feasible, when indicated. Somebody comes in with a broken leg and they have no contraindications to an opioid. Sure, I have no problem giving an opioid. But what if there is a situation when you cannot, or opioid not warranted, or you anticipate they may do worse? That's the push for non-opioid analgesia. And by bringing people at the table, having this discussion, slowly but surely, you're probably going to win them over. Hopefully, hopefully. So how do you how do you have that conversation with your young residents who are coming out of medical school and they say this person has acute pain? I'm going to treat them with an opioid, right? That's, that is the mentality, right? I think they, they, maybe they have appendicitis, maybe they have a, a ovarian torsion. I need to treat acute pain. And that's my biggest pit, but that's what been three or five years of my research. Appropriate means what if we give an opioid with a great analgesic efficacy, but the least amount of potential side effect, unwanted side effect, they can be in trouble. I have issue when somebody comes in with acute appendicitis and my resident wants to give hydromorphone from the get-go. I have an issue with it. I have no issue with giving morphine. Morphine. Right. Minding that patient has not contraindication, we can talk about this all we want. Right. Safe and judicious does not apply only to the dose and frequency. The way we use it, what type of opioid? And my biggest thing right now is euphorogenic opioids. I think we need to start moving away from euphorogenic opioids. Yeah. And I make it very simple. And I hope listeners will forgive me for my bluntness, but I'll say it as I say it. When it comes to opioids, morphine, either parenteral form or oral form, represents better balance of analgesic efficacy and safety. It's least euphorogenic. Yeah. So technically, that's what we need. We should just use morphine. And it's a, it's a hard fight to fight sometimes, and, it's, and, and patients can be resistant to it too. We recently added um, uh, oral morphine to our uh, ED uh, pharmacy, them, yeah. which, is, uh, which is great. Yeah. And now getting people to realize, okay, I can use this sublingual medication. Well, what if for MPO? I don't care for MPO or not. Give them the oral morphine, right? They're, they're fine. This is Okay. I, I will tell you, one of the most frustrating things for me has been probably over the past year when we had a 
morphine and uh, dilaudid shortage, hydrocodone shortage. And so everyone started using fentanyl, right? That was the one IV-related medication. And now trying to get people to shift back to not just using fentanyl. Fentanyl is a great medication, right? When I come in with a long bone fracture, my femur sticking out of my thigh, I want you to use fentanyl on me and I will use that on anybody. But it is not the go-to medication to treat pain in the ED. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, all these shortages actually made it more difficult for mm-hmm. us to have this conversation about let's give morphine. Because for a while it wasn't available in the IV form and people weren't comfortable yet using it in the, the oral sublingual form. oral form. Um, and it's been a very it, interesting – I've actually told my residents and they all now know that they are not allowed to order fentanyl without asking me first unless it is a long obvious bone long bone fracture or true – I mean acute – it has to be an acute abdomen. And they're terrified now to order it. And I think it's the right thing. You have to be judicious. That's a beautiful point. First of all, well, it's music to my ears to know that you guys use an oral morphine, which is fantastic. I think it's a highly, highly underutilized, highly underused medication, which confers great allergy efficacy, once again, with the least amount of euphorogenic potential. And I wholeheartedly agree with you as far as the fentanyl goes. Let's just for a second imagine, if fentanyl fails, then what? Then what? Right. Fentanyl is the most potent opioid for legal and for legal purposes that we know to humans. Yeah. So it's 100 times more potent than morphine. So if you start with fentanyl and it fails, then what are you going to do? You're hosed. You cannot go to morphine. You cannot, God forbid, go to hydromorphone. So yes, fentanyl should be reserved. Unless there's a gray cut, such yeah. an injury that warrant amazing amount of opioids, and yeah. probably fentanyl is a way to do it. But bear in mind, it's a short-acting. So you have to frequently right. redose, and there's a certain problem with the frequently redosing fentanyl. I'd still push if there's no contraindication for morphine. Should morphine fail, then you look like a king. You can go with fentanyl. Right. I have a bigger risk. gun. I can, I can escalate, but you right. can't. it's hard to go the opposite direction. I also use the argument, though, if you're giving fentanyl to all these people, we're going to run out of fentanyl. So when I come in with a long bone fracture and we don't have fentanyl because you gave it to everybody else, I'm going to be mad at you. I tell that to my right, and they look, right. oh, well, that makes sense. Here's another thing when it comes to drug shortages. I think what, what I was pushing when it comes to non-opioid analgesia, that actually played to our favor. Let's say you don't have an opioid. Let's say there's a shortage for every single opioid you possibly can imagine. Then what do you do? And that's where the non-opioid analgesia yeah. comes in. Patient comes with a femur fracture. Sure, you can start them on ketamine, and you can do nerve block. Absolutely. And, and guess what? Pain is probably going to be optimized to the level the patient is willing to accept. Zero pain is obviously we're not talking about zero pain. There's no such thing. But you can make a difference by using non-opioid analgesia. So I love that you brought the residents. And I think it's they're actually easier to, I think, get on board with this. The next thing is the patients. Because I feel like that's probably what started all this was patient expectation of the idea of being pain-free, which I think we can all agree is pain, pain is an unfortunate – well, pain is a fortunate receptor response to your body saying something is wrong. And so to me, I never want to be in no pain because then I'll forget what's going on. But I think people come in with this idea that, you know, the only thing that worked for my mom was hydromorphone, like was dilaudid. And you're like, well, you're not your mom and we don't need to start with that. So how do you have that conversation with patients? Because I know you probably do this routinely. I do. And I'm going to take us back, make an analogy. I think that one of the biggest uh, shortcomings that we've had over the past 15 or 20 years or so, it seemed to be we've neglected the concept of involving patient in shared decision-making when it comes to pain. And the problem is we have not set up an expectation. We did not push in the truth. And the truth is, I know you're hurting, and you're probably going to be hurting for at least reasonable three, four days. You have a broken arm, leg, and such. And there's nothing I can do. I want you to understand it's going to hurt. I'm here to help you. But I won't be able to re- release the pain entirely as you expect me to do. So the converse shared decision-making, involving patient about overall treatment plan with opioid and opioid analgesia, Natural trajectory of the painful condition, it's going to hurt. Probably sure. three days you'll be suffering. And then we can talk about afterwards. That's what I'm going to give it to you. And give patients options. You know, all so often, I said on behalf of some of the residents, and when I was a resident, 
patient comes in with, a, let's say, rapid-quarant pain, they have a biliary colic, and you just walk away. And the next thing, your medication, the computer nurse comes and gives the patient a shot. Patient didn't know what you're giving. Patient didn't know you weren't giving something for pain. Communication. Tell them what exactly to do. Tell them you acknowledge their pain, you know their suffering, and you're here to help. And slowly but surely, you're going to once again get it. When patient's over. And set realistic expectations. Yeah, that's the most important thing. I want to make your pain tolerable. Precisely. I want to make you feel better, but I can't get you pain-free. Is it? Right. Is there, we talk to patients about TPA for stroke. We talk to patients about taking to the cath lab with TPA for MI, if it can get to the cath lab, right? We explain risks and benefits. Why wouldn't we spend 30 seconds to do the same thing? I'm about to give an opioid. Potential benefits and risks and such and such. Well, I don't want to. Fantastic. Well, I have something that I can offer you instead. And if pain comes back, we can always resort to this medication. Same principle. Yeah. So... Where do we go next? I feel like you mentioned nerve blocks, and I feel like that's the next frontier of emergency medicine pain management, that we're just starting to get into ultrasound-guided nerve blocks, doing some femoral blocks, which is actually a really easy thing to do, some lower leg blocks, arm blocks for your long bone fractures, for ankle reductions. Scaling blocks for, for rib fractures, things like that. Yeah. Where are you going with incorporating this into your practice, or are you yet? Yeah, we are. Uh, we are. And as I said, my biggest interest when it comes to deep pain management is non-opioid analgesia. And I think... A combination of opioid, non-opioid analgesics, at least to begin with, or non-opioid first, opioid second, should be the basis for our successful pain management. And at the same token, to push for this safe and judicious opioid use, specifically geared to avoid opioids with high potential for abuse and misuse. These are two things. So non-opioid analgesics, maybe first, when indicated and feasible, opioids to rescue. If opioids are deemed to be necessary on the first try, at least choose some opioid with the least amount of potential side effect, particularly leading to abuse and misuse. And the third tendency, we probably beyond the scope of this conversation, is address the issue with opioid use disorder and start thinking and initiating medication-assisted therapy for patients with opioid use disorder in the ED. So the three major tendencies. That's a whole other uh, huge conversation, a huge right. movement, which we're starting to do better at, I think, in emergency medicine. Uh, I actually had a chance to sit down with some guys from Buffalo, New York, mm -hmm. which uh, have a whole buprenorphine protocol now that they're able to get people into clinics within 48 hours. Uh, had a fantastic conversation with them. And even in central Ohio, where we're yeah. kind of the, the face of part of the opioid epidemic, um, we have a nice response team in our county that can come in and get people directly into um, opioid management clinics and programs when they come in uh, as a heroin overdose or addiction issues. Uh, and it's been a great resource. I hope our funding doesn't try out for that because we're in year two of a two-year funding period. Yeah. But, but this is crucial stuff. And the next step to decreasing our use of opioid in the ED also is, is getting it out of the community as much as possible. Right. And the non-opioid uh, analgesic modalities are – it's a very fertile soil to discuss. And frankly, as an example, just last year, the American Academy of Orthopedics, the American College of Orthopedic Surgeons actually put together a position statement that clearly stated, elderly patients with a hip or femur fracture should be getting blocks in the ED and on the floor. That should be considered standard of care. And trust me, and you know probably on the first hand, nothing makes anybody better than elderly patient with muscle comorbidities, COPD, CHF, AFIP, analogous, coumadin, bad vital signs, and gets like a block, yeah. and it just, life becomes beautiful. Feels much better. Yeah, recently, just new push for uh, blunt thoracoabdominal trauma, particularly multiple refractures and elderly, serratus anterior plane block. Yeah. It does wonders for patients. It's safe, it's effective, efficient, and they don't get pneumonias, they get atelectasis. They opioid basically free almost, to the point they don't ask for opioids. And you can bridge them to something that will be more feasible for them. So there is a push. Ketamine is an interesting drug, and I'm a big proponent of it, and I think people should consider utilizing them, and if not, start utilizing more and more and more, and maybe push for continuous infusion and such. And your NSAIDs have to be checks and balances mm -hmm. as well. 
That's not as safe as people think it is. Acetaminophen, it's a bad analgesic. It's a weak analgesic, no matter how you shape it. Mm-hmm. Oral, suppository, IV oh. form. There's a great push for intravenous acetaminophen. Yeah. But cost is prohibitive. Yeah. So that's why you just basically put this, this analgesic soup in the sense that you combine analgesics from different classes, acting on different receptors, and you get this superb analgesic. You know, a classically used 2006 paper, Savdar showed that if you combine ketrolic and morphine for patient with colic, they do much better. If you give either ketrolic or morphine alone. Sure. This is the combination. Now yeah. opioid and opioid. And analgesic together. Yeah. Great. This is awesome stuff. Yeah. Now, Sergey, before we let you go, we typically, we haven't done it the last couple times we recorded it, but I think it's it'd true. be fun to do something fun to finish off the episode. Not that this hasn't been a fun conversation, <laughs> but we typically ask uh, guests two things. So if you have to go get breakfast anywhere, where are you going and what are you getting? And then the second is who's your favorite superhero and why? So who's my favorite superhero? Uh... <laughs> That's superhero. So I think every, everybody Andy, wants to know. Andy's Thor. I'm Thor. Dr- Thor. Drew is very obscure in the idea that it's Splinter, who you don't think is a superhero, but he, he was a rat that had toxic ooze that teenage made him wife-sized and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And- I think of myself, you know, training my residents. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the superhero that's doing the action. I'm the one that's guiding the superheroes it's interesting to do the action. I've got superhero member. My background, I've never even known about superheroes and stuff ever since I moved to America. Yeah. Slowly but surely with kids and everything else. I need to think about it. I don't, even think, I don't even think I have a superhero. That's interesting. No, I need to come up with something. We can hit you up on Twitter and get, get the do answer I need to, from you no, Do I need to elaborate why it's my superhero? I just need to mention just, the no, name. It, who's your favorite superhero? You don't have to elaborate why. Fine. Okay. So, as far as the breakfast goes, uh, Egg Benedict is my favorite. Yeah. Absolutely. You, love you, it. You, you love it. Yeah. And I would go diner, whatever place I can get, Egg Benedict. I'm very happy. <laughs> and as far as a superhero goes, I'll go for Iron Man. Okay. Yeah. Solid choice. Solid choice. Solid choice. Yeah. <laughs> Rich guy. Great outfit. Resilient. Cool. Very, very resilient. Seem to be indestructible. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much everything we want to be is men, right? That's yeah. True. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, that's true. Fast cars, crazy, crazy outfits. Deals well with pain. Yes. And there's the tie-in. And there's the (laughs) tie-in. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, We're excited to have you on Emo Over Easy and look forward to talking to you again soon, hopefully. Thank you so much for having me. I I had a blast. And it's such an enjoyable conversation. Thank you, guys. And before I go, thank you so much for all you do. You are amazing guys. You're making a huge impact. Just keep having the sense of humor in your podcast and everybody's going to enjoy it even at greater than they already are so thank you for having me thank you for all you do well that means the world to us for all you yeah. emo over easy listeners out there we look forward to talking to you next time until the next episode comes out check us out on social media twitter facebook and of course our blog site the blog site emoovereasy.com thanks so much how do you how do you say the hospital where you work at Maimonides. 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 Commodities, like, com- like commodities, commodities, but commodities. My money need was okay. one of the greatest rabbi. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. So my money, just my money as just my money does. That's it. If you can say my money, you'll be fine. My money does. My money does. My money does. My money does. There you go. My money does. My college thesis involved him. Really? Yeah. Guy was everything. He was scholar, physician, 